It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Podcast presents Brett Baer's All-Star Panel. America's got to be in the lead if you want to deal with these threats. We're going to lead. The morning is over. The shiva is done. And if you're a conservative, you should be optimistic. You know, my main priority right now is making sure that it delivers for the American people. Yeah, the president sounded like he's concerned about it, but no specifics, no change in policy. We have to make our country great again, and I will do that. I think the president gets criticized by people all the time for the stuff he says, by people who ignore what he does. Now, Fox's chief political anchor, Brett Baer. It was a race to the finish as the Democratic leadership attempted to find common ground between Senate moderates and House progressives on President Biden's aggressive reconciliation and infrastructure bills. The president himself making a rare trip to Capitol Hill to try to move negotiations forward. They ultimately ran out of time in their self-described deadline trying to pass those bills at the end of last week. The White House sought desperately all week to strike a deal with Democratic Senators Joe Manchin of West Virginia and Kirsten Cinema of Arizona on the Build Back Better Reconciliation Bill, but without success. When asked Monday if he blamed Manchin and Cinema for the stalled negotiations, the president responded this way. Look, I need 50 votes in the Senate. I have 48. For this and more, we'll bring in our panel, former South Carolina Congressman Trey Gowdy, Chief Washington Correspondent for Fox News, Mike Emanuel, and political editor at the National Journal, Josh Kraschauer. Trey, it seems like they're making progress on this negotiation, but I don't know. Uh, the progressive protesters who followed Senator Cinema into the restroom doesn't seem like that's the way to get her vote. Yeah, I can tell you, Brett, I knew her very well when we served in the House together. I have stayed in contact with her. She's not afraid of anything, but uh, that is uh, among the more a non-persuasive moves I have ever seen. And then on top of that, I mean, Kirsten Cinema is not a moderate. I mean, if you go and look at her positions on the issues, she is a progressive. She just happens to be one that is willing to spend $1.5 trillion or even maybe more than that, but not $3.5 trillion. So number one, questioning her uh, authenticity as a progressive, you're welcome to do that with Manchin. But but I don't think that's the tack to take with Kirsten and trying to intimidate her. I can assure you is not going to work. Josh, do you think that they're closer than they were? Do you think that there's this negotiation that's just going to pop out in a matter of days or is this going to take weeks? No, I, I think there is the moderates and the progressives are as far away as they have been speaking to some of the, the top lawmakers in the middle of this. There's not a lot of goodwill between them. Biden, the White House, incredibly sort of scuttle the bipartisan deal that, you know, the initial conventional wisdom was that he wanted. He wanted to get a bipartisan infrastructure bill at a time when gridlock is so common in Congress and that they had it had both Republican and Democratic support. Uh, Biden is making a big bet that both the progressives are going to come down in, in their spending demands from $3.5 trillion to somewhere in that $1.9 to $2.2 trillion range. 
and that cinema and mansion are going to back down from their demands, which by my read of it seemed they're, they're pretty principled. They're not, you know, that much more willing to play ball than the progressives. So yeah, in theory, like there, there's some middle ground where the spending, there could be a smaller spending package and you get the infrastructure bill passed. But after what happened last weekend, the, the trust is very low and the demands seem almost irreconcilable at this point. Yeah, Mike, it, it seems like the president sounded a little frustrated, said he got 98% of his caucus to go along, but didn't get two. <laughs> Absolutely. And it feels like, uh, to a certain degree, like flashbacks to what we had when John Boehner was speaker. And there were some Republicans who said, you need our votes. And so we're going to make our demands. And so here you've got it on the other side. And it's a royal headache for Speaker Nancy Pelosi and for President Joe Biden. And you've got empowered progressives and you've got empowered moderates. And so the president's going to try to make his appeal over Zoom or whatever to the progressives, and we'll see if they bite on it. Um, There's also an easy way out of this, I think, in a sense that if they lower the timeline for this spending to make it, say, over five years or five to seven years instead of 10 years, then you can lower the numbers. But some of this stuff is like brand new entitlement spending that once Washington gives it out, Brett, you know it's impossible to take it away. And so yeah. then future Congresses will be demanded to reauthorize the spending, and it really will be trillions and trillions more dollars over many years to come. Yeah. And, you know, the money starts, you start to glaze over about how big this is. I mean, the troubled asset relief package, TARP, after the 2008 fallout um, in the financial markets, that was $800 billion. And and we as a country said, wait, $800 billion, that's insane. And here we are after, Trey, March $1.9 trillion of a COVID relief package. Now you have an infrastructure bill at $1.2 trillion and a potential three point five. It's going to get scaled down. But I mean, you're talking anywhere between four and six trillion dollars with a T. Uh, while we are also, ironically enough, debating uh, raising the debt ceiling for the one millionth time. I think the moral of that story, Brad, and I sat through State of the Unions um, from presidents on both parties. I don't recall hearing anything about the debt or deficit in either President Trump's State of the Unions. Um, so it seems like the party that is empowered doesn't spend a lot of time talk, talking about debt or deficit. It is only the party that is not. Um, I don't know if that argument is going to win because Republicans like to spend money, too. I think it is more the transformational change and whether or not you are going to let the squad and the progressive caucus run the country when the country's 50 50 and the Senate is at 49 and holding. That is not an argument for transformational change. Yeah. And, you know, this president campaigned differently, Josh. And um, how that falls out, if they don't actually get to the finish line, I think is really going to be interesting as we head into 2022. Yeah, Brett, that is one of the more fascinating elements, surprising elements, really, of, of the Biden presidency in that he ran as one of the few moderates, the true moderates in that Democratic presidential primary field, took to great success. I mean, everyone thought the energy in the party was to the left. Biden was one of the few candidates that bet on the on the pragmatic pragmatic Democratic side of the party. He won easily, and yet in office, he in almost every decision he's made, we had to, where he's had to choose between pandering to the middle or to the left. 
he's gone with the progressives at, at, at many, many occasions, including this this very consequential one where his presidency is hinging on getting these spending bills passed. Uh, it, it's sort of a, you know, it, it's sort of a sign that they don't want to challenge the progressives in the party. They're worried about if they try to push too hard on them, lean too hard on Pramila Jayapal and, and the squad and some of the other more progressive members that it, it, they don't have the clout. They don't have the political capital to push back. And it seems like we're still going to be juggling these balls in the air for the, I, I don't see how we, the Democrats are going to be able to come to an agreement in coming days. I, I think the longer they push this deadline back, we're getting to the Virginia governor's race uh, in about a month. If, if Democrats lose that election, this is over. I mean, the political capital is spent. So the time timetable is very, very uh, urgent. And I don't see them any closer to bridging this divide that is um, worsening over, over, over time. Yeah. And in fact, the Democratic candidate there, Terry McAuliffe, said 3.5 is way too big. Uh, that's maybe a signal to uh, to Democrats if he's he's running uh, that way. Guys, let's hold it right there. We'll continue after this. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Mike, before the Republican side, there are at least 10 who said that they may vote for the infrastructure package. And, you know, if Democrats are imploding, do they vote for it and somehow help them out by getting what we've always talked about getting, roads and bridges funded through Washington? Yeah, the sense I'm getting is that leadership's telling these Republicans who are willing to do an infrastructure package would like to be able to bring home some better roads and bridges to their districts to just sit back and watch and see if the Democrats completely unravel and implode over this spending argument. Um, you know, basically don't get in the way of Democrat on Democrat violence, and so at least political violence. And so we'll see how it all plays out. Um, I think there are some folks like Rob Portman from Ohio who are retiring who would love to be able to say, hey, I helped improve the nation's infrastructure before I left. Uh, that doesn't mean he's on board with another three and a half trillion or however many trillion more in spending. But I think the message from leadership right now is sit back and watch. Uh, you might have, you know, the AOC and Pelosi duking it out before long and Schumer unraveling, worried that AOC may primary him next year uh, if he's not progressive enough. And so um, sit back and watch and make some popcorn and have a, a cold drink nearby and see what happens. <laughs> yeah. Just watch it happen. There are other things in this reconciliation bill, Trey, that are problematic for some. Um, they're going to try to get immigration back in there, which we've talked about before, you know, doesn't really easily fit in the budget construct. Um, and then the other one is the Hyde Amendment. Today, Jen Psaki said the president opposes the Hyde Amendment. This is the amendment that prevents the use of federal funds for abortions. Um, there are Democrats that have problems with that being in there. Yeah, he used to be one of them, um, and they they've run off most of those Democrats. I, I I found last week, Brett, and I know you talked about it. Jen Psaki used the word democracy. The Washington Post used the word democracy. When you are relying on something called a parliamentarian who is not elected and never will be, and a process called reconciliation, I'm just not sure democracy is the first word that leaps to most people's 
mind. But I think the sense is if Republicans can avoid blowing it, and that's a big if, but if they can, this is Biden's last chance to do something because he's going to have a Republican majority in the House. So the pressure builds to make reckless, uh, undemocratic decisions uh, to accomplish your end. Yeah. And, you know, they they are putting the pressure on Josh, but whether that is the the ticket is um, yet to be seen. I mean, we focus on cinema and mansion, but there are others who have issues. That's one of the bigger, more underreported stories, Brett, that cinema and mansion and Josh Gottheimer in the house are basically running interference for some of their more vulnerable colleagues that privately are really concerned about the scope of the spending and worried about the political blowback they could receive for supporting such a trillion, 3.5 trillion or even a $2 trillion bill. Yet they don't want to be speaking about it publicly for fear of alienating their own base in the run-up to, to a re-election. Uh, Cinema and Mansion aren't up for another three years. They have some space to speak about their concerns openly, uh, but there are senators like Maggie Hassan, in New Hampshire, Catherine Cortez Masto in Nevada, running in tough political a tough political environment, facing good Republican opponents. Uh, they, they don't want to be speaking up and, and cheerleading for the Biden administration and their strategy on this. So there is a quiet, moderate majority in the House, and, and there's certainly about a dozen that well, the, you know, the Democratic moderates that are well known in the Senate. Yeah, uh, they're they're uh, not speaking up necessarily, but they are on the political front lines and they have very real concerns about this. It's not exactly a profile in courage, Mike. <laughs> not at all. But it's got all kinds of people, all kinds of people looking over their shoulders and wondering, you know, what's going to happen if I, if I stand up and say no, or somebody going to start shooting at me. But Hey, if you've driven by a gas station recently, you see inflation before our eyes that's affecting everybody's constituents and so while, you know, there are folks like AOC who say spend, 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 I think there are a lot of folks in the House and Senate. Uh, obviously, the entire House is up for reelection next year, a uh, third of the Senate, but who are worried, you know, what happens with all this extra money flowing through the system? Uh, what happens at the grocery store? What happens at the gas station? Uh, so on and so forth. And what's the impact on my constituents? And so there may be some who are saying, you know, let's pump the brakes a bit. Uh, that was a phrase, I think, used by Joe Manchin at one point, a strategic pause or something to that effect. I think there are others who would like to do that as well. We will see. We'll follow all of it. Thank you very much. Here's a bit of American history. On October 4th, 1927, work began on the face of Mount Rushmore in the Black Hills of South Dakota. The idea for Mount Rushmore came from historian Don Robinson, who originally proposed that important Sioux figures be carved into the Black Hills needles. In 1924, Robinson teamed up with sculptor Gutsan Borglin, uh, who suggested that the figures be changed to presidents, George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. Presidents Thomas Jefferson and Theodore Roosevelt were later added to complete that project. That'll do it for this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and review. We want to hear from you. For Trey, Mike, and Josh, I'm Brett Baer. We'll see you next time.
Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com.